Hello. The interview you're about to hear was recorded in July, and obviously before the announcement of Peter Capaldi as the 12th Doctor. So in this interview, there is still some conjecture as to who the next Doctor will be. Enjoy the show. November 1963, the first episode of Doctor Who was broadcast. Little did people know that on that evening, a television legend was born. And now, 50 years and 11 Doctors later, Doctor Who will celebrate its half-century in November 2013. And already, social media, bloggers, forums and podcasters have already begun those celebrations. But why has this show survived? And how has a little British sci-fi show about a man who travels through time and space in a battered blue police box, once famous for its wobbly sets, cheap special effects and occasionally hammy acting, become the global sensation that it is today? In an occasional series of interviews, I'll be talking to fans, bloggers and podcasters and try to find out what they love and hate about the show what their favourite memories are, and ask why has this show about a madman in a box survived for so long? My guest this week is Stephen Schapansky from Radio Free Scarrow and The Memory Cheats. Welcome to the show, Stephen. Thank you very much, Phil. Ah, it's a pleasure to have you here, mate. A pleasure to have you here. Um, So here we are to talk about Doctor Who. Um, So my first question to everyone so far is... How the hell did you get into Doctor Who? Because it always amazes me for, with people in North America are latched onto Doctor Who. Ah, uh, croiky. It's, um, uh, croiky. I don't know. <laughs> We're talking about <laughs> accents before recording, and I have no idea what that one was. Um, <laughs> I, I started watching it when I was eight or nine, uh, and it's, it's just the weirdest thing because I was over at a friend's place, and, and he was just sort of flipping ch- through ch- channels for whatever reason. Just, and I just sort of happened to look up at a time when he was, uh, stopped on uh, a PBS station, um, which is a public television station. It was actually from Spokane, Washington in the U.S., which is where we picked it up in, mm-hmm. uh, in, in northern Canada. And it was literally had it on screen for three seconds. And it was Tom Baker walking around the console. And I just, I just remember looking up at that exact time uh, when, he was, when he had the TV on. And I just – those three seconds were fascinating to me. Uh, I just thought, what is this weird-looking guy around this strange, you know? Because I'm just getting into Star Wars at the time, and so like anything spacey was sort of catching my eye. Yeah. And and I asked him what it was. It's, it's Doctor Who. And I said, oh, that's it. That's that's that looks neat and stuff. And so I, I for the next few weeks, I would sort of try and be home at that time to sort of catch episodes of it or something like that. And and for the longest time, I only ever saw the last. 10 minutes of an episode. So I'd see the cliffhanger to something that I wouldn't know what I just watched. 
And that's how I started watching the show. One of my earliest memories is watching Tom Baker supposedly shoot the president of, uh, of the High Council at the end of episode one of The Deadly Assassin. For years, I didn't know that it wasn't actually him who did it. I thought, it like, <laughs> what kind of a show is this? A hero actually assassinates presidents. And I thought, this is really cool. And I just sort of started watching it through that. Just, and then I just, I, you know, 84, 85, around there, I sort of started to really watch it on a weekly basis. And, and then I sort of elevated into super fan probably in my teens and, and it just it just built it, it never ended it never really stopped and i just kept watching it and then uh, and then the, another station showed uh the, the hartnell and troughton episodes in 91 it was and i started getting into those and then of course the new series came back i mean it's it's never it's always been a part of my life since i was about eight years old it's like you do realize you you probably saw more doctor who than i had done at that time because as you well know, it's been well documented everywhere else that the BBC would never show any of the old yeah. Hartnell or Troughton or even Pertwee stuff, for that matter. So you were probably sort of streets ahead of me at that, at that oh, particular I, time. I know. We in North America do not realise how good we had it. Because, you know, it, on, on our station, we had weekly half-hour episodes, Monday to Friday. Uh, they were originally at 4.30, then they moved to 7, which is much more convenient to me, and that's when I started getting into it. And then, at the Saturday night, they had a whole omnibus um, thread going on of edited uh, stories. I, for the most part, North Americans never really saw cliffhangers that much because they mostly saw the the sort of you know the edited together compilation stories. Mm. Um, and yeah, and, and people say though, well, who's your doctor? You know, and they say, well, it, you know, it's Tom Baker, obviously, but it's you couldn't you, Colin Baker's era as as the doctor was about eleven weeks. In the uh, in the summer of 1989, you know, uh, yeah. because that's how much it was. You just watched an episode every week, and so you you just gathered in all these doctors at once. You didn't really have to like, you know, because the golden age for watching Doctor Who is maybe a three year period when you're sort of you know from age 12 to 14 or something when you're really getting into it, and that could pertain just to you know you could just only see Tom Baker or just Peter Davison during that time. But for me, I saw all of them, you know, probably yeah. twice around, and that so it was just inundated with. With Doctor Who, and I, I often wonder if that constant um, exposure to it is why North American fans seem to be more rabid about it because they're they're just it just became just such a normal part of their lives when they were getting into the show that it was just always there. They didn't have to wait six or nine months or eighteen months to the next series. It was <laughs> yeah. just always on, you know, and you could have just easily become a fan of it. Well, they so trust us Brits then to screw it all up for you. <laughs> when it got cancelled so. exactly what our fix was gone because <laughs> the thing is um i said at the beginning what always amazed me that people in north america um are sort of latched onto or you know doctor okay admittedly back then it was a very small minority and i suppose even now it's still a, a small minority but in the sort of like late 70s early 80s here we were getting all the glossy american impulse um mm. the, the things like you know Battlestar galactica and buck rogers and 25th century Knight Rider um, and some of the lesser ones like Auto Man and Street Hawk and stuff like that. Um, but they will be put up directly against Doctor Who and things like Buck Rogers. I mean, that went up against season 18 of Doctor Who and it trounced Doctor Who in the ratings because people just sort of like latched on to that. This is so much better. Um, but what, looking back on those old shows, they seem more dated than Doctor Who does now. So what, what do you think it is about Doctor Who that just sort of keeps people coming back to it? What do you think the, the secret to that is? 
I th- I think there's a unique element to it. Um, you know, it's it's often lumped into your typical science fiction shows and, and genre shows, but really, there's you know, apart from some episodes taking place in space, it's it's you know, the travels in time and that aspect, and the fact that the Doctor himself is a non-violent person and an alien and a mysterious person at that, whereas you know, in in other shows. Other sci-fi shows certainly there's you know there's there's your more traditional heroes uh, and perhaps even a larger cast you know mm. often uh, it, it it's difficult to think of a if you were to start a science fiction show today to have a a a star a one you know one star one companion kind of like a two person cast basically an entirely new set of rotating guest actors uh, throughout it. And so there's that element of it. You know, you would you would turn on to oh, I don't know, Space 1999 or Buck Rogers or or Star Trek: The Next Generation, and you will basically see the same eighty to ninety percent of the same actors in each and every episode, mm. and you know maybe one or two guest stars, and that's it. You know, this is probably how they can make twenty six forty five minute episode. Uh, year because they can just do them all and, and quite easily. But Doctor Who, there's just there's such a variety and uniqueness to it all that I think it just keeps you know people coming back. It's just you know that you could you could turn it on and watch anything. You know you could from horror to Fang Rock, set in the on the 1890s in a lighthouse or something like that. To the next week you're watching some space station in five in the year 5000 with a robot dog. I mean, what <laughs> other show can possibly go? from week to week with that much variety. I think that's what people say. Well, what's, what's going to happen next week? I have no idea. Was, was it that in particular that, that kept you coming back? Um, you know, at the t- when I was a kid, uh, uh, I saw Star Wars, and I thought that science fiction meant uh, space battles. Uh, so I basically watched <laughs> any other show I could get for the potential of, of gun battles. And so I would sort of like look at the wayside at some other stuff. But then the pirate planet came on and Romana was gunning down the pirates guards on the, on some, you know, cloudy day in Wales. And, such. and I thought, <laughs> this is excellent. And, and state of decay. I think K nine was wasting some of the guards too. So like there was these little benchmarks that, that sort of stand out in my childhood of great battle scenes. And Doctor Who. <laughs> And so when the Pertwee episode, when the I finally started watching Pertwee in, I think it was 14 or 15 or something like that, like it was the golden age, you know, like it, I, I regret that the, the Pertwee hair didn't come along two or three or, uh, years earlier for me because I think I would have eaten up the Action by Havoc days uh, <laughs> a lot more than I did in my mid-teens. Well, I think I saw uh, the John Pertwee era uh, best described in a, 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 a very, very, I was going to say, very, very early edition of Doctor Who magazines was back in the 70s. Because my very first memory of Doctor Who is uh, The Green Death in, right. was it, 1973. So um, I can remember just vivid memories of the maggots. But years later, when Tom Baker uh, was in the role, and I think it was the first edition of Doctor Who magazine, is that one with Tom Baker leaning on top of the Dalek? Yes, and, and yeah. It had, yeah, and it had a description of... Um, the various different doctors in there. and it, when it comes to describing Pertwee, it said James Bond style action, <laughs> right? And I thought I've got to have me some of that. So, but of course, the BBC this is days before videos and DVDs and whatever. So, um, it took me years to actually catch up on some of that James Bond style action. <laughs> so, so that was it. That, I mean, that was. Um, I mean, that's why Pertwee's always been my doctor for that reason alone. As you say, action by havoc, fantastic. So, mm-hmm. <laughs> but what? Um, what other, you know, were there any other fans around at that time when you were sort of like, did you feel you were the only person watching it? So, you know, when you say, have you watched this really cool prong with Doctor Who? And they're going, what? What are you talking about? It, it was a very 
solitary uh, passion of mine when I was growing up. I think uh, the, the few other people that had seen it thought it was silly. It looked cheap and everything like that. And so, yeah. so I often, I often, I soon learned that to talk about the show to others would be, you know, invitation to invite scorn. So I, <laughs> I, I sort of stayed to my own. I, I knew one guy who, who sort of had a few tapes of uh, old episodes and, and we talk a little bit about it. But um, apart from him, I was pretty much on my own um, watching Doctor Who all through my youth, all through my early adulthood even, mm. uh, until, until oddly enough I met uh, Warren Fry at, um, at a TV station that we worked at in the early 2000s. And we would spend midnight shifts watching French cartoons and just, you know, having nothing else to do but talk about Doctor Who. And he was literally the, like the first person I ever was able to talk some serious Doctor Who with, you know. Yeah. And despite I had watched, I'd watched the show for, you know, over 15 years at that point. And I had never really actually had a conversation about it with anyone. It was, it was an eye-opening experience. Yeah. <laughs> so um, obviously through sort of like Warren, when the, the show came back in 2005, you began um, podcasting. Um, yeah. Now, was this like a conscious decision to do this, or was it just sort of like just came out of the blue? You thought one morning you just sort of woke up, but you know what? Let's 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 give it a shot. Let's see what we can do here. It was Warren's conscious decision. Um, decision. Yeah. Decision. Uh, I didn't know what a podcast was. I, I've long been a late adopter to technology, so I, I and you know, podcasting was pretty much just starting in two thousand five. Mm. And and Warren, I think, was suggesting it. He had moved to Vancouver by, um, at that point, but he was still suggesting it. I think late two thousand five, and we were just sort of banding about. And I just okay, whatever. I don't know what's going on or anything like this. And I, we actually finally sat down in April of two thousand six and planned something out. And then it took another few months to actually release something. And and for the longest time, I just sort of he just sort of told me, okay, do this, do that, get a mic. You know, when I say we're recording, talk that sort of thing. Like I was completely clueless as to what was going on. Um, so I don't know what the mindset was with, with Warren. I mean, at the time there weren't that many podcasts out. There was podcast, uh, pod shock and there's a one called podcast who, which, which stopped in 2007 and maybe a couple others. Hmm. And so it was, a it was a, it was a, not a very, not the crowded market, so to speak, that, that it is today. Um, <laughs> but I, I, I don't know what we, you know, for about two years, nobody listened to us. That's, that's the thing. It's uh so we didn't really market it to anyone or anything like that. And, mm. and so I, I'm not too sure what, <clears throat> what plan we had. I just, I know that we just liked talking about Dr. Who. So we thought let's do it once a week for about 30 to 45 minutes and, and, and see where it gets us. So when you were sort of like started reviewing um, Dr. Who for the podcast, <coughs> did, did that sort of change the way you watched the program? Well, um, it's, it's weird because I often th- oh, it's, it's, this might be stretching it, but I, I think that I think the people who like Star Wars fans who watch the the prequels, uh, they don't like them as much. Obviously, they're not nearly as popular as the as the original trilogy. But mm. they also are watching them fifteen twenty years after them. You know that wide eyed time. I mean, I watched Return of the Jedi in the theaters when I was eight, and I still love to death the uh, Scar- Sarlacc pit scene. Yeah. Um, it is it, it is to this day still my favorite movie scene of all time. I will never. I have a Lego reenactment in my in in my <laughs> Lego room. I will never ever take down. And so, but the cynicism and and the you know the the maturity, so to speak, uh, sort of affects how you watch things now, or certainly how you watch new things. And so, I think that sort of cynicism and and, and different perspective came along at the same time that 
that Doctor Who came back. So I can't mm. tell what the dividing line is. Am I looking at things differently for the podcast or am I just looking at things differently now because I'm an adult? You know, it's um, it's tough for me to sort of loop in like what's your favorite story of all time? Mm. I, I immediately go back to the classic series because it has that 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 enough time has passed that I can sort of look fondly back on, on, on the old series stuff. And I can't necessarily do that yet uh, for new series. And it feels almost like I'm cheating myself. Like I can't say that, you know, Matt Smith is my favorite doctor, even though he is, because it just feels like I'm, you know, ask an eight year old what his favorite movie is. He'll say whatever he just saw last week, you know, not enough time has passed. So, um, has it changed my, my actual perspective? Maybe a little bit. Um, Mm. but uh, thankfully, there's three of us on the show that um, that talk about it. So by the time Warren and Chris have got their opinions out, I've sort of formulated mine, and I go last. <laughs> Sound like I know what I'm talking about? <laughs> well, take the opposite stance to what they have done. So <laughs> exactly, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Trying to level it out a little bit. So when the show came back in 2005, and I mean, just how I mean, I was extremely excited um, by by the whole thing. Um, did you expect it to come back at all and, and to be so successful? No. Um, I remember when it Me came neither, back. So. <laughs> you know, I remember when it was announced in 2003 and I just thought you know, it, it, it was kind of at the low ebb of my, of my Doctor Who fandom, I think. And I was buying the DVDs. I was enjoying that. I just – I had pretty much resigned myself to the fact that it was never, ever coming back. And that we were just going to have to you know, live on watching the DVDs for the rest of our years. And so when it was announced – uh, it was coming back and the BBC Wales was going to produce it. And I just sort of thought, oh, what, what is really? Okay, I guess it's kind of cool um, that, you know, I, I don't know what BBC Wales is. I was really expecting for BBC One to do I didn't know much about the regional BBCs at the time. I just thought, you know, if BBC Wales, it's like having, I don't know, CBC North, you know, having, having Doctor Who shot in Yellowknife or something like that by <laughs> the local crew. It, just, it didn't seem like the BBC was giving it a lot of attention. Yeah, and so I thought that oh, this thing's going to air like a nine o'clock on a Thursday night or something like that. It'll be a slap in the face of the original series. I'm not sure I want it. Um, and then I think is the probably it wasn't even that whole year that I started getting excited about. It. I think once they actually started casting a doctor, and then and then you know what? It was actually the first few shots of filming that I think I finally sort of said, "Oh my!" Like Doctor Who's coming back, and there's a modern production unit and everything and it's just like i'm i'm getting a little bit excited and then and then of course once <laughs> once once a once a hearty canadian uh leaked the first episode rose onto the internet three weeks uh beforehand uh, me and the rest of the world learned about bit torrenting and we uh and we watched <laughs> and i remember i remember when when uh warren told me about it of course I had a bit torrent and everything like that. And I said, okay, well, no, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna download it. I want to wait until March 26th to watch this thing, you know, when I really download it. Um <laughs> and the real version. And I thought, okay, tell you what, I'm gonna download the leaked version and then have it and then watch the new one on the 26th of March and then compare it. And then sometime in between me clicking download and it finishing, I was just like sitting by the edge of the computer going, come on, come on, come on, come on, come on. I wanna watch this, I wanna watch this. And I think I watched it about eight times before the actual premiere. And uh, yeah, it was it was marvelous. And then then and only then did I realize that, oh, my, like Doctor Who is actually back and it's good. Like, this is quite something. I think um, I'm, I'm with you, actually, when I, I didn't quite believe it was happening um, until bizarrely. I was on my um, way to work one morning um, on a there's a mainline station in London, a train station called Cannon Street. 
And on the concourse, they had the BBC had put up a massive, like twenty uh, foot poster of Chris Freckleson and Billy Piper in front of the TARDIS in some sort of action pose. And then sort of that point, I thought, no, this is really happening. You know, it wasn't just sort of got to be sneaked out, you know, sneaked out, you know, at nine p.m. on a on a Thursday night or something, you know, buried in the schedules. No, they were really putting. That's when it dawned on me they're really putting some effort into this. Um, so I was sort of that's when the excitement really kicked in for me. It was at that exact moment when I saw that poster. It, it feels legitimate all of a sudden. Yeah, and and the first season, first four seasons actually were aired here in Canada on, on CBC, our nation's broadcaster. Mm. Um, but only the first season, the, the guy, I can't remember his name now. Um, it's a strange Polish name uh, that you wouldn't be able to remember or pronounce, just like me. And <laughs> But he was he was the, the head of CBC programming at the time. He was a Doctor Who fan, I think, or at least he believed in the show. And he really fought hard for CBC getting the show, uh, airing it relatively close. It aired only 10 days after um, it aired in the UK, which back in 2005 was a bit of a, a landmark mm. and he, the the publicity that the CBC put out the, uh, for Doctor Who that first series of Doctor Who was amazing they had they had Chris Eccleston come on and do like little uh, uh, introductory uh, inserts and such at the beginning of each episode um, you know, which staggers me to this day considering he did so little else for Doctor Who at that <laughs> oh, no, time. exactly yeah you know and so it was that and then and Believe it or not, it's because of that, I think, that a whole new uh, um, generation of fans in this country sort of picked up on it. And without me telling them about it, you know, they were, they were, they were starting to watch the show independent of me. And I was – me and my girlfriend at the time went over to Friends to watch new episodes of Doctor Who. And I'm thinking this is something that never, ever happened in my life to actually sit and watch Doctor Who with people who want to watch the show. Mm. Um, and so it was It was early on that I realized that this is actually becoming a thing. But, it, you know, being Doctor Who fans, we're, we're still not convinced. And even even when you see so much marketing now splashed out by by space here in Canada or BBC America and the States, it just it still seems like it's going to burst. This bubble is going to burst yeah, sometime. There's, there's always it? the specter of cancellation sitting on its shoulder all every moment, isn't this? <laughs> Diehard Doctor Who fans are the only ones who understand. Yeah, <laughs> nothing lasts forever. Yeah, you weren't there, man. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. So, so um, as it's sort of, it's been sort of becoming an absolute monster of a show now, and it's sort of gone global, um, which I think for a, sort of a little British TV show, which hasn't got an amazing um, you know, a budget well compared to like like it did have it's got a fantastic budget but in the grand scheme of things uh, if you compare it to something like uh, Battlestar Galactica or The Walking Dead or Game of Thrones uh, the budget is pretty minuscule um, has it sort of surprised you how sort of it's caught on globally because it's and it's no longer sort of like um, you whisper it in the corner uh, to, to someone did, yeah did you watch Doctor Who last night it's people will now talk about it quite openly um mm. Does that does that sort of quiet sort of surprise you now? Oh God, yes. Um, you know, walking around town and seeing people wearing Doctor Who shirts as they would any other type of shirt, you know. Yeah. Um, it, it in the past I would sort of latch onto them or something or like, oh hey, you like Doctor Who? I like Doctor Who. But now it just you know, it's it's kind of normal now. You know the uh, um, the ratings on for Doctor Who in Canada on on space <laughs> I can't believe we're talking stats but uh, <laughs> um, are are really extraordinary uh, for for a cable channel like space is that sort of sits 
somewhere in the third tier. Like you basically have to, you know, order two tiers to get that one. Mm. And it winning its time slot on Saturday nights, um, you know, five, five six hundred thousand people, and, and you know, in a nation of thirty-seven million, it's 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 a lot. Mm, yeah. um, and probably a few more buying it on on DVD and iTunes or whatever. And, and you know, it's it really has taken off, and it's 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 still on. I mean, I was at. Um, uh, we were at Calgary Expo in uh, in Calgary, Alberta, and back in late April. And there was it's a general sci-fi con, but um, mm. you know there's sixty thousand people there over the course of the weekend, and you know you're probably our eyes were probably attuned to looking for Doctor Who stuff more so than any other. But I, you know, I would say the the majority of people dressed up in costume were as characters from Doctor Who, be it the tenth or eleventh Doctor. Um, I moderated a panel uh, uh, for Torchwood that was in a hockey rink, um, a big giant (laughs) auditorium with about two or 3000 people, you know, of screaming fans and thinking, wow, this is, you know, like I'm, I, you, I'm used to like sort of sitting in a small panel room or something like that, talking about it. If, if this is going to be a general sci-fi con, but to have that much adulation to Dr. Who and to Torchwood, which hadn't even been on the air release in in like two years. And (laughs) it was good four years ago. So it was, it's, it's still kind of staggering to see how popular it's getting over here. Well, so with that level of popularity, um, especially I mean, it is over here, probably not so much um, where you, where you are, but obviously with something that's popular, uh, the media take an, an enormous interest in it and almost seem to be quite hell bent, I should say, on getting the show cancelled or whipping up some sort of controversy around it. Do you sort of, from where you are in Canada, do you sort of look on this in in puzzlement? So what the hell are you guys doing over there? Exactly. Perhaps because, I mean, yes, Doctor Who's popular over here, but it's not going to be to the point of, you know, Big Bang Theory popular, that kind of ratings thing where where there's articles written about it, about how bad it is, (laughs) which I I agree with. But so do I. (laughs) Um so it, it it's in that nice little bubble right now where everybody likes it, but there's no reason to cut it down because it just seems to be this thing that just people enjoy, and it isn't it isn't harming anyone. You know, they're 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 simply to amuse, purely to amuse. <laughs> um, nothing harmful, nothing political, or anything like that. No. So to see, yeah, just like it, this is one of your national treasures. But then again, I mean, uh, you know, Hockey Night in Canada is a show that's been running for this was its 60th season. Mm. Um, uh, they've been. <laughs> They've been running Doctor uh, uh, Hockey Night in Canada on CBC since the fifties. The uh, little side note: the first few episodes were produced by one Sidney Newman. Um, I, I owe this man much of my life. Let me tell you. Obviously, yeah. Uh, <laughs> but but you know, people will say, "Oh, the CBCs and Hockey Night in Canada is getting all like fuddy duddy, and this and the other places are doing it better." And they, you know, they're basically trying to chip away at national institutions for whatever reason, for press or something. It's it's it. You get more press for for dumping on something that's long running and institutional than you do for praising it. Uh, and perhaps that's what the UK has done pretty much since 1983. I think <laughs> like, they sort of like after the five doctors aired and, you know, all the hu- euphoria of the 20th anniversary went by the by it. Um, it's, I think it probably started taking a bit of a negative turn in the U in the UK press at that point. I'm hoping that doesn't happen for the 50th. Once all the glow rubs off on that, that the new doctor in August of 2014 doesn't get dumped on and the show gets canceled a year after or something. Oh, like they'll, they'll find something to latch on to because, because <laughs> just before, I mean, we were talking about Chris Freckleston's um, tenure in the role. I can remember um, the 
I think it's the Daily Mail. It usually is the Daily Mail. Latched on to Dalek. Um, and mm. there was a line in that where um, Van Staten tells Adam to go and spoon yeah. with Rose, right? And he and he used that as some like it was some old quaint English. Um, I was going to say custom, but um, <laughs> some old quaint English saying. Now they latched on to that. It's sort of like they're introducing sex into Doctor Who. How dare they? <laughs> the, the very moral fibre of our children is at risk here. Um, and they've been doing that ever since. And I find it absolutely amazing that you you will get certain, um, well, not even newspapers, I don't know what, what you want to call them, rags, um, will just latch on to certain things and whip up some sort of frenzy or try to whip up a frenzy, pretty much like White House did um, in the 70s. Um, now, I don't know if you sort of like remember much of Mary White House was a big, big deal in this in in the UK uh, back mm-hmm. in the 70s and 80s. That's when she was at the you know the the height of her powers. Um, when you look at sort of like the episodes of Doctor Who that she did pick on things like the Deadly Assassin, um, sort of like through sort of like North American eyes, does it sort of like look pretty sort of quaint? Because it's always been um, from the UK point of view back then. It's sort of American TV is always meant to be seen as very very violent. Um, I think it, I wouldn't say if American TV was the, well, maybe the A-team was possibly the, the amount of, of bullets fired in the A-team to bodies falling was, you know, the, the ratio. Well, nobody, like, ever, nobody actually ever died in the A-team, did nobody they? Nobody ever died. <laughs> There's no consequences to anything. Um, maybe it's just I never watched that much violent uh, TV, but I think it was probably more, um, maybe moralistically, uh, different in the 70s certainly mm. um i i thought the the tv and like i watched uh like i haven't seen the sweeney or anything like that but i want to and i've seen gangsters from the 70s and uh i the professionals i think i'm seeing a little bit and i think this this stuff is violent like this is this is like you know old school <laughs> angry british gritty <laughs> violence uh and so to think that Doctor Who was in the same league as that at the time, you know, the, the fight in Deadly Assassin was was nothing really. No, that's uh, right. In my opinion, you know, I mean, we saw the unedited. I mean, it is you're watching it now on your DVD. The last scene of Bernard Horsfall choking Tom Baker because it was taken from uh, from a videotape of uh, <laughs> the North American copy because we didn't really see much of a problem with it. So, <laughs> I, no, I, I honestly, I don't think there was much you know, wrong with it. I think that, you know, some of the stuff in season 13 with, you know, Tom Baker, uh, the fourth doctor poisoning Morbius, um, Mm. uh, but no one really batting an eye about it. And Colin Baker's doctor 10 years later and the two doctors uh, doing pretty much the same thing to shock except personally, as opposed to in a different room killing him (laughs) and everyone's up in arms about it. So I don't know. I think I think it's all sort of tame in comparison to what, what else is going on at the time. Oh God. Yeah. I think you're absolutely right. So, um, Talking about your your podcast earlier on, and sort of like you were saying, you know, you stood in front of you know all those people doing your torture panel. Of course, your podcast is now opening conventions, hmm. uh, it's like Gallifrey One. So, how did that how did that come about? How, you know, was because um, you were sort of rep, you were sort of there every year. Um, was it sort of like a, a natural progression that you sort of um, ended up doing that? It kind. I mean, I Sean Lyon who who has run. Gallifrey won for 25 years, uh, which is astounding in itself. It's celebrating its 25th anniversary next year. Yeah. Um, it just sort of saw that we were, we went there, our first Gallifrey was 2009, and we just sort of went there as, you know, noobs. And, uh, but we did, we did, we thought, you know what, let's do a podcast every day. We were so excited about, about it all that we just, 
and we're having so much fun. I mean, this is the first ever convention that I'd ever been to. I mean, you know, Warren Fry was the first Doctor Who fan I ever met. All of a sudden, I was surrounded by them, and it was just a magical moment in an event. It was Mecca. Yeah. And so we just, we couldn't stop raving about it. You know, it wasn't, it wasn't anything to sort of say, you know, you know, like we're looking out for a job application or something to open Gallifrey One. And, and then it just, it, it, you know, I think Sean just sort of eventually perked his ears up and just, you know, these guys are really, really gung-ho about the convention. And, and, and uh, you know, and so he invited us on to do a, our own little panel in 2011. And then, mm-hmm. and then 2012, he said, tell you what, we'll launch the, we'll actually start, you know, they never really had an event to start the convention before, just sort of, sort of, they open here that things started, panels are now open. Yeah. Yeah, and so we came up with the idea of of us doing a show, a ninety minute show to start the thing, and um, and we were we were quite amazed uh, by it all, and and who we were able to get to interview. I think the first year we had um, Camille Kaduri was on. Sadly, it was going to be Mary Tam um, before she had to bow out, and of course she she died. Yeah, uh, that's right. Year yeah. after that, but but um, uh, Toby Haynes. The director, because we love directors and Radio Free Scarl so much, and so to have Toby Haynes there, who had just directed five consecutive episodes and all marvelously, in my opinion. And, and that was fun. And this past year, I mean, you know, it, it's getting to the point where it's, you know, when I was a kid, I would love to meet my my heroes and such. And all of a sudden, in one six-month span, I've interviewed Sylvester McCoy three times. Wow. You know, tell tell that to my fifteen year old self that that was actually going to happen. You know, it's so it's <laughs> we let we let off the show with him, and then Philip Hinchcliffe. You know, which which is one of the greatest thrills of my life to actually be able to not only talk to Philip Hinchcliffe for half an hour about Doctor Who, but to actually talk to him in front of a thousand people. <laughs> it's it's, uh, it's something. So I I just you know and we're doing it again next year, and and I hope that I hope that we we continue to sort of have it be an exciting thing to kick off the show because, uh, you know, there's, there's only so much you can do with, you know, you get five guests out basically and interview mm-hmm. them and then sort of set the, the pace for the convention. So I hope we don't get complacent or stagnant in, in that, but it's, it's been an honor and a thrill. Has it got any easier, um, as you've been doing it over the last couple of years and obviously not just Gallifrey, but other conventions as well, has it got any easier to interview people or are you still sort of like a big, big bag of nerves when you start? Um, it's odd. Uh, whenever, <laughs> whenever I think about interviewing people, it's it's always just the first question. I have to think, how do we kick it off? I just, you know, just once I get that first question out of the way, then the conversation goes, and, and I work off of what they're saying. You know, yeah. yeah. Uh, I, I I took lessons from Gary Russell, who never ever takes notes on stage. He just goes on there and has a conversation with people. Um, even even when he was a kid, I looked at a uh, a video of of him interviewing Robert Holmes on stage in 1982 or three or something. Gary Russell's 17 years old, and he's sitting there interviewing the greatest writer in wow. Doctor Who history without any notes. And I thought he's even done it since then. Um, oddly enough, <clears throat> we were a bundle of nerves before our 2012 live show, mm. and the first one uh, launching Gallifrey one. And until we got on stage and, and we realized that the lights were shining on us and we couldn't see anyone in the, in the, in the audience. <laughs> so we didn't know what scale of things they uh, were, was going on. And so I, we lost it. I think we all sort of agreed that, yeah, right when we got onto that stage, it was, it was easy almost, mm. you know, and, and it, it was a weird feeling because, and as I said, going on stage for the torture thing, you know, 
uh, it, it, this huge, huge auditorium hockey rink, and it, I didn't feel any nerves. And I, I kind of, I hate that in a way because I, I don't want to get complacent and, and feel like, oh yeah, I can do anything now. I can just go on stage in front of four thousand people and and do whatever. So. Yeah. But I mean, with with anything, you just get used to it, I suppose. But there are there are certain times when I sort of get all, you know, a little bit antsy. Um, it's it's a it's a strange process interviewing people, but uh, it's one you get used to. So when next time you do an interview and you come out in a top hat and cane, we know you've let things go to your head a little bit. <laughs> just a bit, just a bit. <laughs> so I mean, is there anybody um, you're really holding out um, for interview wise? Is this is this sort of like your um, some you you're desperate to to get on onto RFS. Oh, um, well, Russell D Davies, Stephen Moffat, uh, yeah. probably the obvious ones. Because um, I know you've you've uh, you have interviewed uh, one person you, you forgot to mention when you when you did your your first one in 2011 was Graham Harper. Oh yeah, who oh, I know you are you are a massive fan of. In 2010, he was sort of yeah. I I remember um I remember meeting him in the in the lobby and. Uh, and I said, you know, because I was not going to leave L.A. that weekend without interviewing. Like, I pestered him so much that whole weekend. <laughs> but when I first met him, I says, hi, Graham, uh, Stephen Chapansky from Radio Free Scarrow. And he just like, oh, yeah, Radio Free Scarrow. Like, no, this is not happening. The, the, my, my greatest <laughs> television hero did not just recognize the name Radio Free Scarrow. Um, and so the, the, just the whole weekend, we were sort of building to this. The, okay, we have to do it. Says, okay, come on, let's do it. And so we just sat down in the lobby and we coasted on that high for a couple of years. And then we we've sort of said, oh, go, who's our new white whale? Well, probably Philip Hinchcliffe. Yeah. Um, and I don't know if Sean was already Sean Lyon was already looking to to book him for the convention, but I remember saying in I think it's 2012 or maybe even before this past one in 2013, I says, "Can you get Philip Hinchcliffe?" And he did. And uh, you know, Sean. I mean, the way they do it is they sort of Sean just sort of, you know, can you take this person and this person, uh, or, or I'll ask for like this person, this person to have on the show. I asked for Philip Hinchcliffe. Give me who else? Anyone else you want? Just give me a half an hour of Philip Hinchcliffe. And so now that one's achieved, and now and now we're, we're sort of in a quandary again. Like who's our who's our white whale now? Um, Eric Sayward would be interesting. Um, yeah, Chris said Chris, the same, Chris said the same thing actually. Yeah, yeah, he would yeah. be he would have a lot to say. Um, Christopher Hamilton Bidmead is a blast on Twitter, and he's actually listened to the podcast on on occasion. Uh, not just when we're talking about him either. <laughs> and, and but he said that he's. He thinks he said all that he can say about it. Um, so that, but it's a shame because I think we'd have a good time with him. Honestly, I, I David Tennant, if we're looking for actors, would be one because I think he'd probably be up for it someday mm. down the line. Um, I don't know. Now that we've we've had Hinchcliffe on, I, I we're we're, we're pretty- sort of targeting our sights on <laughs> on the next big one, you know. And so I don't know who that is, quite frankly, yet. Tom Baker, how about that one? Tom Baker would be quite something. I'd have to probably fly over to England because he doesn't even he doesn't not only doesn't leave England, he doesn't leave no. his house before court big finish. All the promo <laughs> photos of Tom Baker on his front door. <laughs> yeah, he's uh, I think that that would be a, a quite a challenge interview wise, I think, Tom Baker, because he, he's yeah. um well he's he's not so much a sort of personality, he's like a force of nature. Absolutely. No, man, I, I think that'd be absolutely fantastic. Um with regards to your, your podcast, um I mean, do you sort of like quite sort of realize as it sort of quite sunk in how many other podcasts you've actually influenced over the years? 
Well, it's nice of you to say, but we're Canadians. So naturally we think if we have influenced any, it's because that, oh, is that all it takes to podcast? So we can do that too. <laughs> uh, it, I mean, if that's the case, it's, it's awfully nice. It, it, it does um, stagger us sometimes that, you know, being three people from Western Canada, not exactly the hub of Doctor Who fandom or Doctor Who at all in the world. Uh, can actually garner a bit of a following, you know, especially from people in the UK. I mean, it's like me listening to a UK podcast about hockey every week. And I'm thinking, <laughs> why would you listen to Canadians talking about your national <laughs> series in such a way? You know, it just doesn't make any sense. Um, perhaps it's a different perspective. I'm not too sure. But um, if it has influenced uh people that's that's awfully kind um i i hope it's i hope we've been an influence for good in the podcast world if we have indeed or perhaps people just want us to shut up and they'll do their own podcast from now on who knows oh no 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 may long you continue is all i'm gonna say so anyway um as you sort of like um sort of probably embarrassed you enough on that one um (laughs) (laughs) so here we are um sort of so final question, really. We're now sort of here in, in the 50th year of, of Doctor Who. Um, I'm certainly amazed that we're actually even celebrating the 50th year with the show actually airing on the television, you know, you know with, a, with a new series each year. Just, just what do you want from the, from the 50th? Because, I mean, people have so far have been saying that, oh, it's been a bit of a letdown. You know, we were promised wall-to-wall Doctor Who. Um, and in certain people's minds, it hasn't been the case. Um, but... You know, there's been other things happening just, you know, apart from what's been on the television, there's been sort of, you know, the like the BFI showings and there's been mm-hmm. other events going across um, across the UK. So what what do you want from the, the 50th anniversary itself? What, what would what would please you the most? Um, I, it would please me if fans wouldn't be so entitled. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> possibly the most. I mean, the thing is, I mean, people say, oh, we should have, you know, we should have had eight episodes in, in the spring and the full 13 episode season in the fall for, of Doctor Who. You know, they, they, they equate more Doctor Who with being, you know, a, a proper celebration of it. But in my eyes, I think if there had been like, oh, 20 odd episodes of Doctor Who on this year, mm. I think at some point halfway through that run, the general public would have tuned completely out. You know, they're just, oh, enough of this 50th anniversary. You know, there, there's, a, there's a danger of it becoming a fatigue. Yeah. Um, if if Doctor Who had debuted in February of 1963 or something like that, I don't think you'd have it as much because there is less of a buildup. You look at 20 – that year, 2013, has always just sort of been the, you know, the year for the 50th anniversary because 1963 is so famous in Doctor Who's eyes that, you know, we were just always looking forward to that whole year building up yeah. to, to the finale uh, or the celebration rather. And so I think that honestly the, the public would would tune out. I mean this – and this is – it's, yes, it's a celebration for the fans and for those of, of who like the show, but it's also – Doctor Who itself has always been not about the fans, or at least it shouldn't have been. It's about appealing to the general public. It's on BBC One. It's the flagship program. It shouldn't just be for fans. Um, mm. And so – uh, you know, and and so for, for fans, you know, just demand, oh, why aren't they telling us things about this and that? And <laughs> well, because it, it wouldn't be a surprise, you know, there wouldn't be these wonderful little nuggets of stuff that you, that you that you 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 know get dropped on your lap in in the middle of the summer or something like that. And uh, and yes, I mean, you know, Doctor Who is 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 
always been in in the news this year, it seems, for good or ill, perhaps. But you know, <laughs> mostly it, ill at the moment. But. Mostly <laughs> ill, yeah. But you know, the BFI screenings are wonderful. I mean, how often could you go and watch a a, a classic Doctor Who story in a cinema, and oh, then no. have people who made it um, talk about it afterwards? You know, you get that once a month. Um, uh, the I'm, you know, there's that uh, what you call it. Um, uh, the concerts, the proms coming up uh, in a couple weeks' time as we record this, July 13th, I think, which yeah, looks yeah. looks wonder. I, I just the hints that I'm hearing getting dropped about this, the fact that they're sort of tying into the original Radiophonic Workshop stuff. Yeah. Um, from Ben Foster, he tweeted a, something a couple days ago, and Mark Ayres has been working on it. I mean, that's just going to be lovely. It's an, it's an overarching celebration of Doctor Who, uh, which I like, and it's not inundating... Uh, it's, um, you know, it's Doctor Who's a very, almost a, a user-funded experience when you when you like it, and and you know podcasts are all. I mean, you're doing this series of interviewing people about about Doctor Who, and and you know RFS is doing a, a bunch of stuff, and mm. fans are doing marathons and writing about it, and it's you know that's that's as big of a celebration as you know sitting there waiting on the BBC's doorstep to to have them appease you and, and entertain you and, and everything, you know, it's, it's a year long celebration for everyone that everyone also contributes to. And so I, I just hope that, that people, you know, um, accept that, uh, you know, doctor who is not going anywhere by the looks of it. It's still, it's a huge, it's on stamps for crying out loud. Um, it's, (laughs) it's a big thing in the UK. It can't be on TV all the time. It's being celebrated elsewhere. And, uh, when surprises happen in the next few months before the, uh, the anniversary to, um, be happy for them because it's going to be, it's going to be wondrous. So it is indeed, it is indeed. Well, Stephen, thank you so much for, uh, for joining me for the last, uh, last half an hour or so. It's been absolutely brilliant. Thank you very much, Phil. It's been a wonderful time. Thanks a lot. listening to the Who's He podcast. Please visit our website at who's-he-podcast.co.uk. You can also follow us on Twitter at who's underscore he underscore podcast. And please also join the Who's He podcast Facebook group. The Who's He podcast is a member of the Doctor Who Podcast Alliance.